Make your way to Genesis chapter 20, as Darren had said, and you see the title, Repeating Sin and Gracious God. Uh, This is the last of our summer series in Genesis. We'll pick it back up in June uh, as we walk through Genesis for the next couple summers. Um, We will begin a new series in the book of Philippians, uh, which will start in a couple weeks. Next week, uh, Labor Day weekend, uh, we have just a topical message in Isaiah uh, before we kick off our series in Philippians. So uh, if you want something to start reading and, and being familiar with, uh, make your way to Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we'll begin that letter uh, shortly, in a few weeks. Um, I'm excited for the kids' uh, ministry starting back up. I'm just so thankful for all those ladies uh, ministering to all those kids. Um, and so I just encourage you to keep praying for them, and I just, I'm praying for a lot of fruit. Uh, from all of those ministries with those kids as Jesus desires for children to come to him. And these ladies do a great job of, of sharing the gospel and I just pray for great fruit uh, for those ladies and, um, and for the ministry that we, we, we share with those kids. Uh, Genesis chapter 20. So don't raise your hand. Uh, this is a question I want you to answer within your heart. Um, if you raise your hand, that could be a little awkward, but I'd be okay with it because I'm all about transparency, and so I'm going to raise my hand here in a little bit, but you don't have to. But I want you to answer this question in your heart. Follower of Jesus Christ, professing follower of Jesus Christ, do you have repeating sins in your life? That you just keep going back to over and over again. You want victory. But it just seems out of reach for some reason. These repeating habitual sins in a believer's life. They start to steal your joy. They maybe for some of you they begin to make you question your own salvation. How can I keep repeating my same sins? How can I truly be saved? They make you feel like there's just something wrong with you. My answer would be yes. I'm guessing, if you're honest, your answer is yeah. Your answer is yes too. Well, chapter 20 of Genesis, I want you to highlight. Because the answers in Genesis chapter 20 is exactly what habitual, repeating offenders of sin need to hear. God wants us to know that there is hope for those of us who keep repeating the same sins in our lives. Let this chapter be an encouragement to you about God's character. Listen how Abraham is going to walk with God. Because we just heard in chapter 18 that God is walking with Abraham and they are friends. They are rocking this relationship. Chapter 18 is a great encouragement of what it looks like to be a friend of Jesus. To be a friend of God. Chapter 19, we saw the contrast. We saw uh, Lot, being a believer, was a friend to the world. 
and what that did to his walk, what it did to his family as they watched him. And yet both in God's grace, God went after him. In chapter 20, you might be thinking, while well, Abraham's in a good place, Lot's not in a good place, I want to be like Abraham. Well, chapter 20 tells you that Abraham needs God too. So whether you're on this spiritual high, praise the Lord, or maybe some of you like me or have been in a valley, God wants to meet you there. Because He's God. And He doesn't treat us like we deserve. So in this message, we're going to see two different ways in which we're going to look at this passage. Number one, we're going to see what can we learn from Abraham. What can we learn about Abraham throughout as, as human beings, what do we learn from Abraham about our human nature? And then secondly, what are we going to learn about God through dealing with Abraham? So the first thing that you're going to see in Genesis chapter 20, what do we learn about Abraham? What do I, as, as a human being walking with God in faith, what do I learn about myself? Well, the first thing I want you to see is every follower is a sinner by nature. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the ter territory of Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech king of Gerar, sent and took her. So we learn from Abraham, we see a lover of God, he is, but he still has this sin nature. And he is, like all of us, are capable of sins even when we're walking close to God. This saying is true. It's not a biblical statement, but old habits die hard, don't they? Sinful habits you had before you knew Christ are the same things that you need to constantly surrender to, to, surrender to in your walk with Christ now. Did you know that? They don't just go away. Abraham repeats a sin about his relationship with Sarah by lying once again to Abimelech, the king of Gerar, saying, he, she's my sister. Not his wife. Again, under pressure from his surrounding circumstances, Abraham goes back to his flesh and its desires. He wanted security apart from God. Why, Abraham? 
Why is this sin such a struggle for you? It's a question we can all ask ourselves. Abraham sins because it's all about him. He's protecting his own hide. He's willfully using his wife as a tool for evil. Abraham was guilty of this once before. If you just are in, uh, coming into our study in Genesis, he did the exact same thing in Genesis chapter 20, or chapter 12, when he went to Egypt. We that are believers in Christ are often found to slip up and fall in things that we have previously fallen in. Sinful patterns of life. Sinful patterns that we had before we knew Jesus as our Lord and Savior are still trying to rear their ugly heads into our lives, aren't they? Abraham shows us, shows the follower of Christ that we need Jesus daily. We need the Holy Spirit to lead our walk. We can't do this alone. I love what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The last two chapters, verse chapters 18 and 19, again, we saw Abraham walking with God and Lot walking with the world and God wants us to see that contrast. But you need to love chapter 20 because what it's showing us is that Abraham is just like any other human being. He struggles with sin. And he needs God. Our hero is not Abraham. Our hero is Jesus. He saves us from our sins. So we, we, we get this idea that we have to learn something from Abraham. We learn that we have a sinful nature. But what do we learn about God, though? So here's the first point of what do we learn about God. So what do we learn about God dealing with Abraham, dealing with a believer, dealing with someone who loves God, these habitual sinners? Well, the first thing you need to realize is there is a, God, a gracious God. God is gracious to intervene in our lives. This is the first thing I want you to see regarding the character of God in chapter 20. Look at verses 3 through 7. See God intervene. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she's my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart, 
and the innocent of my hands, innocence of my hands, I have done this. And then God said to him in a dream, yeah, I know that you have done this in integrity of heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I didn't let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all of yours. So the first thing I want you to learn about the character of God is this. God is gracious to intervene. When we continue to sin, God is gracious to intervene in our lives. It shows that he loves us. God intervenes to preserve Sarah. He made a promise to Abraham and to Sarah. And yet they continue to make the same mistakes, and so God intervenes. He promised Abraham and Sarah a child. We will be introduced to him next June in chapter 21. And so God speaks to Abimelech through a dream. Now, Abimelech claims to be innocent. Doesn't this seem a little unfair? I mean, Abimelech didn't do anything wrong. Well, the idea here is, apart from God's intervention, he would have most certainly done something wrong. Man is not the hero. God graciously intervenes in Abimelech's life. He graciously intervenes in Abraham and Sarah's habitual sinful patterns. There are so many things we learn about God's character through these sins. We learn that God is gracious in the affairs of all mankind. Even to unsaved people, God is working to accomplish His purposes. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 33. He says this, But the Lord's plans stand firm forever. And His intentions can never be shaken. That's the God who we serve. There is nothing happening in all of our lives that God is not a part of. For many people, God is reduced to just a spectator in our lives. Our God, the God of the Bible, wants you to know He is intervening in our lives. And that is His grace. God is in control. How else is God gracious? He's gracious to intervene by sending people to rebuke even unbelievers to believers. You know, he is so gracious to intervene. He sends even unbelievers to rebuke us. Look at verses 8 through 16. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? That's got to be convicting. 
and how I've sinned against you. So again, he recognizes his own sin. That you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin. You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see? That you did this thing. Abraham said, I did it because I thought there was no fear of God in this place. Great excuse. Instead of being a testimony to Abimelech, you decided to hide the truth of God from him. He feared there was no fear of God in this place, and they, they would kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. What, what an excuse. And that's exactly what habitual sinners do, don't we? Oh, I forget, it's just me. Did I get an amen on that one? Abraham tells the king that he and Sarah had entered in to this secret agreement to do this whole sister plot. Just look at verse 13. Yeah. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. He's telling Sarah this. At every place which we come, say to me, he is my brother. You see how they're conspiring? So instead of trusting God, they entered into a conspiracy. Which was this half-truth. But it was told to deceive, and it actually reveals their actual faith in God. God graciously intervenes by sending an unbeliever to rebuke a believer. So let me ask you, what habitual sin, what repeating sin do you have in your life that God is graciously intervening in your life? What people have confronted you about that repeated sin? Do you see that as an act of grace to someone who professes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Listen to me. This idea of God's graciousness to intervene in a habitual sinner's life, a repeating sinner's life, this, this grace of God sending an unbeliever to intervene in a believer's life is all an act of grace, but it is not. And listen to me very clearly. It is not a reason to keep sinning. God's grace is not a license to keep sinning. It's God's grace to show us his compassion and his love which should cause us to stop sinning. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin so that grace may abound? And he goes on in chapter 6, he says, certainly not. Those of us who know Christ shouldn't just continue to live in habitual sin. We should want God to deal with it. And God is gracious to do so. Because he loves us. I get frustrated when things don't go right. 
electronics would be my biggest tester of faith. And my family would say amen. They do a number on my walk with Jesus. But God is gracious to work in me. I used to work as a banker at Wells Fargo. And oftentimes, I mean, I was there because I was really going to go into ministry. And so I was working because I needed to pay for uh, benefits and, and things as I had a, a family of, at that time, it was five. Uh, and so I needed money, but I also was going into ministry. And so Wells Fargo just was an ends to justify a means. I worked there. But I did see it as an opportunity to spread the gospel and, and to meet different people and do Bible studies with them, and I did so. But it was also a tester of my faith, these frustrations that electronics have in my life. Well, there was this one opportunity where it was 5 o'clock, and I was ready to get out of there because, you know, I'm only going to work there when I have to. It's Wells Fargo, for crying out loud. I don't want to be there more than I need to. So I'm working, and I'm trying to enter in this information into this stupid computer. See, I'm already starting to get a little frustrated. And this thing wasn't working, and I could not leave. You couldn't leave, because once you start the process, you can't stop the process, or it ruins the whole thing. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm just getting more and more frustrated with this stupid machine. Because I want to go home and do ministry. But God had some more working to do in my life, and He still does. And so instead of being patient and allowing maybe someone to help me, I took my fist and I punched the machine. It's worked with my foot on the mower. Why wouldn't it work on this stupid little debit card machine? But at that moment, as I punched that debit card machine, I saw my boss go like this. And I was instantly convicted. Here I am at Wells Fargo doing ministry, sharing with people that I desire to to go into ministry someday if God would want me to do so. And here I am punching a debit card machine to my boss who didn't know the Lord. And so what do you do in that gracious moment of God to put her watching me? I mean, at the moment I'm thinking, God, did you really have to have her watch me? And it's at that moment I realize that that's exactly what a gracious God would do. He's not going to let me get away with it. Because I'm a follower of Christ and I need to grow in my faith. And so I got off my chair and I went into her office and I asked her to forgive me. I asked her that that was not an attitude of someone who proclaims to know Christ and yet I'm a sinner and I need Jesus to forgive me. And I asked her to forgive me. Now she looked at me like, what are you even talking about? You're weird now. But I didn't care because it was a testimony that I needed with God. And if he was going to use my sinful pattern, my habitual sin, 
to show somebody that God is a gracious, forgiving God, then I was going to be right there to stand up in front of her. What habitual sins is God graciously intervening in your life? Now back to Abraham. So we have one for Abraham, one for God. Now let's go back to the next one. What do we learn about Abraham? What do we learn about our nature? The first thing we learned is every follower is a sinner by nature. Apart from God's working in our life, we will go back to the flesh. The second thing I want you to see is every follower of Christ must repent and move forward. Look at verses 17 and 18 with me. Then Abraham, after all of this taking place, then Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Abimelech. And he also healed his wife and his female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So what we see here is that Abraham is now getting back into fellowship. The grace of God intervening in Abraham and Sarah's life. And now Abraham is turning back to God. That's what repentance is, by the way. Changing your direction. Changing your thinking. Abraham prayed. He immediately takes up this spiritual act of prayer. And he starts praying for other people. God had shut up or shut off the wombs of the women of Gerar. But by the means of prayer... God would open those wombs. When God is gracious, listen to me, when God is gracious to intervene in our lives and He exposes our sin, the natural and spiritual reaction should be to repent and move forward. We see this, by the way, throughout the Bible of followers of Christ. In the New Testament, we read of Peter who denied Jesus how many times? Later in Galatia, Paul rebukes Peter for his hypocrisy. I mean, what's wrong with these believers? The same thing that's wrong with us. We need Jesus. There will always be times when God will graciously show us our sin but if we do not repent and move on, we will be not in mission. Yes, Abraham sinned. Yes, he repeated a sin over and over again. But he repented and moved on. And so can we. Don't let Satan keep you in this depression that there's something wrong with you. You're darn right there's something wrong with you. And that's why Jesus came to save us. You do not have to be paralyzed, follower of Jesus. You just need to repent and move on. And that's what Abraham teaches us. Some of the biggest testimonies are from people messing up, sinning, and repenting and moving forward. I got more opportunities with my boss, Jan, 
as a result of my sin than I ever had before when she thought I was perfect. The unbelieving world needs to know we're not perfect. We serve a great and perfect Savior. Are we hypocrites? Amen. Is that something to brag about? Heck no. But it makes us point people to Jesus and not ourselves. The last thing I want you to see here. Again, what do we learn from Abraham? Now what do we learn from God? The same verses. I want you to see this. What do we learn about God? What do we learn about his character dealing with Abraham, dealing with mankind? Number two is, is that God is gracious regardless of our failures. Look at verses 17 and 18 again. Then Abraham prayed to God. He prayed to God. And God healed Abimelech. And he healed his wife so that they bore children. Why does this show the graciousness of God? Because God is using the prayer of a sinner to answer the prayers of an unbeliever. God still used this sinner Abraham to point Abimelech to God. He uses a failure like Abraham to witness of the glories of God answering prayer. Don't tell me God isn't using people who fail. Abraham teaches us, what God teaches us through Abraham is that he is so gracious to still use us even though we're failing and we failed. So if you're a struggling sinner, you struggle with the same sins. You come to uh, 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 the first week of, we do our communion time on, on the first week of every month, and you come to that communion time, and it's usually a reflection time where you're able to confess your sins before the Lord and just repent and, and, and confess. And it, it should be such a cleansing thing because the Bible tells us when we confess our sins, He's faithful to forgive us. And He does in the blood of Christ. But we still recognize how ugly our sin is. But the idea here is this. That when we confess our sins, we're typically confessing the exact same sins. Are you not? Can you at least give me like one of these? When you go to communion, are you going like, didn't I just talk about this Lord last week or last month? Now, is this a chance for us to say, well, you know, like Romans 6, I guess we can just do what we want. No, the idea is, is we are failures apart from God's work in our lives. And so it should cause us to be more and more dependent on the work of God in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. God is going to be gracious to you, follower of Jesus Christ, even as you struggle with your sins, that he still wants to use you. By the way, he still got, he still does do that. I look at the church and I look at Peter. And again, remember I said he denied Jesus three times. But what, what does he do with Peter then? Does he just throw him to the side and say, Peter, I can't use you now? No, what God does is he restores Peter through his repentance and forgiveness, restores Peter, and Peter becomes a vehicle for the church in Jerusalem. I love what in John 21, this restoration, this graciousness of Jesus 
When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. See, see, God's going to tell Peter, you're not done. Yes, you denied me. Yes, you failed. But you're not done. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend to my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time. Hence, a, a mirror of his rejection of Jesus three times before the, the rooster crowed. Do you love me? He said to him. You could see the, the anguish of his repentance, but the joy of his repentance and turning back to God. You know that I love you, and Jesus does know you love him. He knows you love him because you put your faith and trust in him to die for your sins. And he says, feed my sheep. You know what we learned from chapter 20 about the graciousness of God? Is he can only use sinners. That's all he has to work with. So the question you have to ask yourself is this. If, if God, if I, if I repent, if I turn to you, I want to still be used by you. Or you sit in your sin and sulk. Or you continue to let that sin fester so that your joy is gone and people even wonder if you're even a saved Christian. God is gracious. God is faithful. Paul writes about this in 2 Timothy. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Our God is gracious. Regardless if we keep struggling with some of the same, same sins that we were committing before we were saved. We need to fall in love with the God of the Bible. Because when we do that, when we learn about his character like Abraham your life will change. Abraham's life did change, but God had to deal with some of his sins. Has yours changed? Put the whole thing up there so those of you who are writing it down. Again, these two points that I wanted us to make from Genesis chapter 20. If you are here and you are struggling with habitual sin, chapter 20 is for you. Go back to it. Soak in the joys and the treasures of Genesis 20 because God deals and wants to work with you. To use you. So as we conclude, George Whitfield, he was a famous preacher in the mid-1700s. He preached to thousands of people throughout all of Europe and throughout America. But he would always end every one of his messages he preached. And he would say, you must be born again. No matter what he was preaching, he would always put in his message, you must be born again. One time he was in America and a lady came up to him and said, you know, every time I hear you preach, you keep saying you must be born again. Why do you do that? Why do you keep telling people they must be born again? And George Whitfield said, well, ma'am, because you must be born again. 
I would agree. This sermon should encourage the believer in Christ. The believer that is walking in faith. But to you that is here, you're seeking the truth. You're searching for purpose. You want to know that there's more to this life than working and dying. The answer to your question is that you must be born again. You must be born again. Not just George Whitfield said that, by the way. Jesus Christ said it. In John chapter 3, verse 7, he said this. Don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. What does this mean? If you are here today and you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you have not acknowledged that He died for your sins, your past, your present, your future sins, that you are not good enough, you are not worthy of God's grace, and yet by His grace, through your faith, He saves you. Not because you went to church as a little girl, not because you got baptized as a baby, or that you go to church on a Sunday, but because you are here and you acknowledge you have sinned before a holy God. And without Jesus bridging the gap between you and Him, you will spend eternity in hell. Jesus says you must be born again or you will not enter the gates of heaven. To believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead he is declaring a victory that is not yours until you put your faith in Him. But then once you do, and I encourage you to do so today, before you leave this building, declare for the first time that Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. You must be born again. Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, I thank you for your words in Genesis chapter 20. And Lord, my desire is not to continue in habitual sin, but to see your grace intervene and repent and move forward. And yet recognize that, Lord, there are so many sins that it feels overwhelming to someone that we can minister, that we can share the good news of Christ but that's exactly what we can do, Lord. Because you are a good Savior. You are a gracious God. And God, may your church be filled with those who are living in that gratitude. And that you are transforming lives in this church so that we can be a light to the people in our neighborhoods and at our workplaces and wherever we're at, that we serve a great Savior. For I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we close in one final song.